welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. God's got an incredible plan for our lives. It's a plan to give us life in all its fullness, overflowing. That's the plan of God for every single one of us. But we sometimes forget that there is a devil and he wants to completely destroy our lives. And he will use any means possible. And I do think porn is probably one of his most uh, powerful weapons for Christian men and women in this day and age. And my heart has been, I don't want to heap any more embarrassment on anyone or any more shame on anyone. My whole motivation again this morning is to help you be free because God has created us to be men and women of victory in this world. And and we can step up to that. Uh, But so often, so many of us are caught in behavior and addictions that are ripping off God's plan for our lives and his future promises. But he wants us to be free. And I want you to be free. Uh, And that's our whole heart here. Um, Why is this such an issue? Porn statistics, and these are up to date and everything I'm saying this morning as far as statistics, have been fact-checked. ABC News, Australian News, in 2019, they did a survey including 15,000 people from ages 18 to 29, from all walks of life. This is a secular statistic. A couple of years ago, they uh, surveyed 15,000 people people, and this was the statistics that they found. 93% of the men surveyed viewed porn regularly. 93, that's 93 men out of 100. 58% of women watch porn regularly. And that's the real life statistics out there in the world. It has become normalized. But the problem with normalizing something is it just doesn't make the negative, destructive effects of that thing magically go away. And I think we're living in a time where if we can get more and more people to agree with us on making an immoral practice moral, then we think it's going to be more more blessed and everyone's going to be more happy and everyone's going to take more pride in that. And you, you can't make the destructive effects of sin magically go away. It will never magically go away. So that's... Um, a secular statistic outside of the church. What is it like with Christian men and women right now? And um, I'm using probably a more conservative statistic, but it's from an incredible organization called Covenant Eyes. And if you want some great resources on this, Covenant Eyes is just Google that, and it's, they've got some amazing free resources. Um, and this is, I think it's a 2020 statistic. of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. 64% of Christian men. So say if there's 100 Christian men here, that means 64% of you uh, have clicked on something and purposefully viewed something that you know you shouldn't be watching. You're purposeful. And 15% of Women. See, this is a big deal and it needs to be talked about in the church. Again, if we can't talk about these things and if we can't give you um, tools in which we can be free because Jesus wants us to be free, where can we talk about it? Uh, So you don't have to be a prophet just based on those statistics to know that this is probably going to be a very real sermon. So turn to your neighbor and say, He's talking to either you or me right now. (laughs) No, just don't, don't do that. 
Some porn facts. Number one, porn separates. Porn has a separating effect because sin has a separating effect. When we have sin in our lives, and I'm talking about porn this morning, but you just widen it because it's sin. Um, we separate ourselves from God and we separate ourselves from others. The very things that we've been created to be, have relationship with God and have relationship with others. That's our purpose in life. When we have things like porn as a problem in our lives, it's, we don't want to go to, to church. We don't want to be involved in ministry. We don't want to, we feel too much shame to raise our hands in worship. We, we can't say yes to the call of God. It brings shame into our lives. We separate ourselves. We isolate ourselves. We can see this right from the beginning. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they sinned. And what did they do? They ran from God. They didn't want to go into the presence of God. Jonah, when he disobeyed the call of God in his life, what did he do? He ran the other direction. He didn't want to be in the presence of God. God, Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any nation or individual. That word reproach literally is shame. It brings shame. The, you sin, you're going to have shame in your life. And I've, I've read it before, and I was trying to find this statistic again, but um, a lot of people say that are in missions organizations say this is probably one of the major reasons why we aren't seeing a lot of single men Heeding the call and going on the mission field. They reckon only about um, one, in, one in 10 or one in 20 now are single men, all the rest are women going to the mission field. And a reason for that is young guys, uh, but it's not just a guy problem, have this call. They, they have this desire to please God, but they've got this struggle, uh, this fight, this shame in their lives, and they just don't, they feel like they've disqualified themselves. God wants us to be free this morning. Number two, porn deceives. I love this quote. Sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. And for any of you guys that uh, have, have, I don't know, succumbed to temptation, we all understand this. We are presented with something that is tempting and we think it's gonna make us happier. We think it's gonna make us less stressed. We think it's gonna fix stuff, but it never does. It only ever makes things worse. Sin will never make things better. Proverbs twenty seventeen says, stolen bread tastes sweet, but then it turns to gravel in the mouth. Porn. Deceives. It is never as good as a real, the real thing. There is a uh, an biology experiment with the mating um, patterns of butterflies, the, the mating behaviors of butterflies, things that you research when you're doing a sermon. And uh, they, they, they set up this experiment and they had this beautiful looking female butterfly and they put her in this little container and then they made a duplicate cardboard fake Butterfly. The only difference was, number one, the fake one wasn't real. It was like a piece of cardboard. But they made it more colorful, and they made her parts bigger. True story. And then they introduced a male butterfly um, to this, this container. Guess what? The male butterfly looked at the real female butterfly, and then it looked at the fake butterfly that was bigger and more colorful. It completely ignored the real female butterfly. And instead, I don't know what he tried to do to the, I'm a user, maybe not, don't use your imagination, but 
But that fake butterfly, it's never real. It, he got deceived. It, it, it's never lasting. It's only a piece of cardboard. Never as good as a real thing. Porn will never be, sexual immorality will never be as good as the real thing. Why? Because Satan can't create. He can only take what God has created and twist it and pervert it and use, uh, use it to deceive people. Now, Satan can't create anything beautiful. Only God can create. Porn deceives, porn separates. Number three, porn enslaves, Romans 6, 16. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully for you surrender yourself to become a servant bound to the one you choose to obey. So God has given us free will and we can choose who we're gonna serve, but we've basically gotta serve Someone, we are free to choose. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master and it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. We can choose who we serve. We can choose who is gonna be our master. Are we gonna choose something that's gonna enslave us or are we gonna choose Jesus who frees us? Porn enslaves, and I want to give you a little bit of a science lesson, and I almost failed science at school, so um, <laughs> I've read this stuff from people that know that they're, um, but they reckon that that first um, sexual encounter we have, whether it's porn or whether it's uh, before we get married or whether it's even sexual abuse, what, is what happens to our brain when we um, experience that for the first time is incredibly powerful. They reckon what goes on in our brain um, is more powerful than what happens to the brain when someone takes a hit of uh, heroin or cocaine or that sort of hard drugs. When we are exposed to stuff sexual in nature, that is what happens in our brains. And then another crazy thing's happened with our brains, that which first gave us that stimulation, we somehow get bound to that. Two things take place. And, and I think why that is, God created that. God created the, that power of sex because in the perfect world, we don't have any sexual encounters until our honeymoon night until we have committed ourselves full life to that man or woman that we love and we're dedicating our lives to them. And then in a perfect world, we have that sexual encounter and because of all that crazy stuff that happens in our brains, we get bound to our spouse. It strengthens our marriage commitment and unity for life. So that's what or how God intended it to be. It's incredibly beautiful and it's incredibly powerful, but we live in a fallen world. And for most of us, our first sexual encounter is not on the honeymoon night. I can still remember as if it was yesterday uh, when I went to my mate, and this is at primary school, Oiraka Primary, Mount Albert, Auckland. Uh, uh, went to my mate's place after school and he, was, uh, he had a single dad. There was no mum at home and his dad was pretty wild and owned a tow truck company, I remember that. It was awesome going for rides in the tow truck. But anyway, um, he showed me uh, some photos that his dad had taken of a pretty wild party that he had, and it was very pornographic. I can still remember those photographs imprinted into my memory um, as if it was yesterday. And I don't know if it's exposure to pornography, but very tragically, sometimes it can be sexual abuse or, or when we uh, participate in stuff outside of, 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 of marriage. It's so powerful, and it becomes a bondage in our lives. 
And if we're not careful, it enslaves us. Done the wrong way. Porn enslaves. Number four, porn destroys. Now you can read the whole of Proverbs 7. Uh, it's, it's a very powerful and sobering proverb about um, a guy having to be wary of an immoral woman. But um, as it talks about a moral woman, let's maybe just switch that out and just think about the whole uh, topic of pornography. And I'll just read a couple of verses, 24, uh, Proverbs 7. So listen to me, you young men. You'd better take my words seriously. Control your sexual urges and guard your hearts against lust. Don't let your passions get out of hand and don't lock your eyes onto a beautiful woman. Why would you want to even get close to temptation and seduction to have an affair with her? She has pierced the souls of multitudes of men. Many mighty ones have fallen and have been brought down by her. If you're looking for the road to hell, just go looking for her house. In 2002, so this is quite, I mean, that's a long time ago now. Uh, 350 divorce attorneys got together and they, they, they started to talk about what were the most significant um, attributes to divorces. And uh, almost 60%, and 60% of all the divorces uh, these divorce attorneys uh, were overseeing, 60% of them, the major um, attribute or the contributing factor for why the, the marriage blew apart was internet pornography. Porn is destructive. It destroys. It blows families apart. It blows people apart. It makes people broken. And, and we could go on and on this morning with pages of the negative effects of it. And, and I'm not going to use any more time, but it's sin. And sin doesn't have any positive effects. Sin destroys. Uh, sorry, porn destroys. Porn enslaves. Porn deceives. Porn separates. Those are facts. And I, I, I love wintertime. I think, I don't know if it's an introvert thing that loves wintertime. You just love like snuggling up in bed and reading a book or in front of the fire. I love fires. Um, I love fires so much we have on our, on our TV screen like a fake fire going. And it's just, I'm sure it makes us feel warmer. I don't know. Um, but a real fire is such a blessing. A blazing hot fire is so good when it is in the fireplace, when it is in the boundaries of the fireplace. That's where the fire goes, in the fireplace. The, the fireplace is the boundaries. That's where you put the blazing fire. And when you do that, then it warms the whole house. It warms. It's such a blessing. But what say this afternoon, I, I went to my family and said, man, it's getting cold in here. Let's start a fire. And I got the kindling and I got the fire starters and I got the wood and I set the fire up in the middle of the living room. Just, this is so good. This is a fire. This is... It'll burn the house down. We'd probably die if we weren't careful. The fire's not the problem. It's where the fire is. God created the fire. God created sex within the confines and the boundaries that he designed it to go in. And it will be awesome. And it is awesome, but you take it out of those boundaries, it wrecks people's lives, destroys people's lives. And that's a fact. What to do about it? Because if you're here this morning and, and this is a struggle, you, you, we know that, that it's wrong and we want to get free. So going to help us to be free this morning. Number one, call porn what it is. It is sin. Now we can call it a struggle and it is a struggle. We can call it an issue and it is an issue. We can call disorders disorders and they are disorders. But let's actually just call it what it is. It's sin. 
breaks the heart of God. It hurts ourselves, it hurts God, and it hurts others. Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You ancestors, this is what Jesus said, your ancestors have been taught never commit adultery. However, I say to you, if you look with lust in your eyes at a woman who is not your wife, you have already committed adultery in your heart. That's a big deal. And so often people say the age of grace is so much more freeing, and it is, but you know, just living by the law, you can bend the rules. I'm not committing adultery, but I'm involved in porn, and Jesus is cutting all across that. He looks at the heart and saying, well, if you're looking at someone else with lust, it's not your wife, you're, creating adultery, uh, you're committing adultery with that person. So call it what it is. I love this quote. In our dealings with those caught in sexual lust, mercy is incomplete unless we do as Jesus did, call it sin. We have winked, giggled, made alibis, or ignored sin all too long. A friend indeed is one who says quietly but firmly, what you're doing is sin. It is harmful to you and to others. It is destructive to God's dream for you. Again, God wants us to be free. He's created us to be mighty warrior men and warrior princesses. That's his destiny for us. But Satan has come in and because he's such, he's, he's such a devil, he, he comes in and he tries to rob that destiny from us and bring shame into our lives. And sin, the wages of sin is death. So call it what it is. It is sin. Number two, take responsibility for our sin. We've got to be serious. We've got to take ownership. Every one of us has a vice. Every one of us has a weakness when we're stressed out, when we're overburdened, when we just want to escape from all those pressures. There's, you know, there's something that usually boils down to the lust, the pride, the, uh, the flesh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We have a kryptonite. You know how Superman, he's indestructible, but he's got this weakness called kryptonite, and Lex Luthor, the villain, discovered Superman's weakness, which is kryptonite. We all have a weakness. We gotta take responsibility for that. And a very sobering story is the life of Moses, who was called not to just to, to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. He was called to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. But he had this deep-seated kryptonite or this vice in his life. He couldn't control his temper. And we see this right at the start where he kills an Egyptian slave master. And he goes on the run for 40 years. God calls him. And I think it's amazing because God still calls us even though we've got weaknesses in our lives. And we see once he comes down the mountain of God, he's carrying the literal two uh, tablets of Ten Commandments in, in, in his arms. He sees the, the nation of Israel and they're in, indulging in pagan revelry. And yes, he was righteously angered, but again, he lost his temper and he threw those Ten Commandments down, broke the Ten Commandments literally. He had this temper issue in his life that he did not deal with and would not take responsibility for. A little bit later on, God calls him to speak to the rock and then water would flow out of the, the rock and, and then everyone would be able to drink. But again, because he was so angry with the Israelites, he lost his temper. Instead of speaking to the rock, he smashed the rock and, and whacked it with his staff out of anger. Never got his anger problem dealt with. And Moses called to be the deliverer, called to be the leader, uh, called to finish his destiny, which was to lead the people into Israel. He disqualified himself because he never got his kryptonite dealt with. Now, I don't know how old you are. I know how old I am. I know I have weaknesses. If you're human, you've got weaknesses. Let's not allow Satan to use our kryptonite to destroy us and to destroy our destiny. In God. 
There's time right now to take responsibility and take ownership. Number three, confess. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We, we're a Pentecostal church. We love physical healing. We believe that it's God's will to heal because he's a loving God and every loving God wants his sons and daughters to be well and to be whole. So I'm not belittling physical healing, but I just want us to have a look at this verse in a little bit of a different way. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Pray for each other. Confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. We go and confess our sins to God to get forgiveness, but we confess our sins to each other to get healing, to get freedom from those addictive behaviors in our lives. Why is that? Because Sin loves, sin is most powerful in the darkness. And once we get that out into the open, most of the battle is already won. And we're called to carry each other's burdens. It's one of our values as a church to be authentic, to love one another. So there is power, there is freedom in confessing sins one to another. So that, that we can get accountability in our lives and so that that sinful habit or that process in our lives can be broken because we get it out into the light. 1 John 1, 7. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive Mercy, the word of God does not lie. Now, how do we do that? I don't expect people to jump on the stage with the mic this morning and say, well, this is what I you know. I've had this issue and this, and just throw out all of our <laughs> dirty washing. God doesn't want to embarrass anyone, but the power of confession is so valid and so powerful. And God will show you who you need to go to confess your sins, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent, whether it's a trusted mentor or a role model, a best friend. There is power in confession. And most of the battle is already won once we get that out into the open. Confess. Repent, which, uh, you know, you just can't repent right now. It's like, I asked forgiveness and I repent, and now I've repented. Repentance is an actual practical process. It's the practical outworking of a decision that we have made. It literally means to turn around. So for us to get free, we we ask forgiveness of God. We confess our sins one to another and then we repent. We turn around and make it hard for us to go back into that sinful pattern of behavior and the habit in our lives. That's the process of repentance. Matthew 5, 29. And guys, this is, Jesus was not being literal here. Just to, to let you know that. Uh, I gotta say that. If your eye, even your good eye, uh, I've always been amazed at that. Do we have a bad eye? I don't know. If your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's talking about repentance. If there is something in our lives that's causing us to stumble, let us practice repentance and turn away from that. Guys, we can live without Netflix. We actually can. We will not die. Uh, or if it's Facebook that's, you know, you, you find yourself stumbling and, and looking at, um, or any other thing. Put things in place in your life. If it means being incredibly accountable to someone and meeting up with them regularly and giving them permission to ask you any question at all and that you promise that you will give an honest answer. It's the process of repentance. 
2 Timothy 2.22, it says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Run, that word in the Greek literally means to run away because your life is in danger. It doesn't say get as close to the sin as you can. It says run away from it. Do what Jacob did. Uh, Potiphar's wife was wanting to sleep with him and was pressuring him over and over and over again. And one day she grabbed a hold of him and he had to literally run from that situation. He said, no, I'm going to be strong right now. I'm going I'm to handle it. He, he knew his life was in danger. His soul was in danger. And he ran and he left his shirt in the clutches of, of Potiphar's wife. Sometimes we've got to leave a shirt behind. What is a shirt we need to, in our lives that we need to leave this morning? Practicing repentance. Number five, get serious about your relationship with God. Matthew 26, 40 to 41. This is uh, the night before Jesus is just about to, to go to the cross. He returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And this is really powerful. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. There is something powerful about the practice of prayer that will strengthen us. And again, prayer is it's, it's talking with God. It's speaking in your heavenly language. We've already talked about that in, in previous Previous weeks, it's that connection with God. And a miracle happened at the start of this year. For 46 years, I was a night person. And all these people that said, you've got to get up early and spend time, it's like, well, you're, it's right, you know, you're okay. You're a morning person. I'm a night person. So, um, and I love spending time with God uh, throughout the day and in the evening. But uh, God really challenged me, um, give the first part, give the best part of my day to God, and the best part is not at 12 o'clock at night when you're half asleep. And, and by the grace of God, most mornings I've been doing this. And now, looking back, I'm thinking, how on earth did I survive my life without actually doing this? Prayer is powerful. And a reason why that is, is you just start to get close with God. You give our Lord and Savior the best part of your morning, uh, of your day, and, and that's, that's important. You grow stronger with God. You grow stronger with the Holy Spirit. You become stronger as a, as, a, as a believer, as a son and daughter of God. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I've been speaking for 30 minutes. It's a shorter message today. Lastly, start afresh and live free. Start afresh and live free. I just want to repeat a couple of verses I've shared on. 1 John 1, 7. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we get things out in the light as God is there, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that an incredible promise? Uh, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There is hope. There is freedom today. And 
we are human. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we get forgiveness and, and we go through the process and then we fall again and then we pick ourselves up again and, and we go again. But after a while, we just start to live under so much condemnation and so much shame because you start thinking, well, I've been trying this for so long and what's the point? I want to say again, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all wickedness. Despite your past, despite how often we've stuffed up in this area or in other areas, we can leave today 1 million percent forgiven by God. We can lift our head high. We can have that shame roll off our lives. We can have the call and the purpose and the destiny of God reinstated in our lives and we can be free. Isn't that good news this morning? In James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I think that's really where the rubber really starts to meet the road when we are serious enough to actually start living the Bible and to get things out into the open and to see God's power come back into our lives. Conclusion, call it what it is. It is sin. Despite how the world has normalized it, it is sin. Sin is destructive. Sin will lead us and take us to hell. The wages of sin is death. We've got to realize it, what it is. It's destructive in our lives. Take responsibility. Please, may we never get to the end of our lives and realize that we didn't fully accomplish all of God's destiny for our lives because we refused to take responsibility for a weakness for the kryptonite in our lives. Confess, repent, which means to, to put things in place that will make it hard for you to return. I remember it was you know, sometimes you have conversations in your life with people and you know God is doing a miracle. I remember talking, this was years ago when I was a youth pastor. Uh, one guy was so addicted to porn, but he is an awesome guy and he wanted to please God and, and he confessed his sin to me and, I, and he went to enormous lengths actually to hide all, the, all of what he was doing from his parents. He was really struggling. And I said, I, if I were you, if I, and I said, do you want to be serious about this? And he said, yeah. I said, confess your sin to your parents. Make it incredibly hard for you to return back to this process of behavior. Get software and become accountable. And he did all those things. And I was so proud of him for going and talking to his parents about that. And there's power. And there's forgiveness. There's healing. There's victory. Confess. Repent. Get serious about your relationship with God. Start afresh and live free. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.